to whomever is listening to this, good morning. Nice to meet you. My, my name is Willard, and this is Twinkle Dads. Twinkle Dads is an emo advice show. Think of the Dear Sally column in your local newspaper, where people send in questions like, Dear Sally, I've been with my boyfriend for four months and he asked me to move in. Is that a good idea? How early is too early to do that? What is the ideal speed for our relationship? So on and so forth. Here, not only are those questions answered with the utmost honesty and vulnerability, but they are paired with emo and punk songs I believe will help you in that situation. If you are having any trouble in your life right now, whether it be with relationships or existential quandaries or whatever it may be, please feel free to send me your current situation at the email address twinkledad69 at gmail.com. Your identity will be withheld and the priority will be us taking care of your feelings. You are most important. Once again, my email is twinkledad69 at gmail.com and I'm currently figuring out other methods for people to send in questions. Since this is episode zero, I will not be answering any questions. Instead, I will be telling the story of Twinkle Dance. Although this is like the first episode of it in podcast form, this is something I've been doing off and on for the last five years. And at some point it took on a life of its own, but like not in a good way. It's actually quite humiliating. I mean, if you look at the story through a microscope, there are many twists and turns. However, if you look at it as a whole and in actuality, it is truly just a gigantic meteor plummeting towards the fucking Earth. But it's a necessary prologue to explain where this project is coming from and what I want to achieve and what it has achieved in the past. I want this to be the last time I speak about myself on here, because I want Twinkle Dads to be about you, the listener. Anyone who does not feel certain where they are, or suffering from insecurities, or, you know, just the daily life struggles, and there's no one in your ear telling you that it's going to be okay. And I want the biggest takeaway of all of this, of Twinkle Dads, to be that you are loved, you are special, and you are caring. Take this episode zero just as a cautionary tale. You can learn something from it, you can laugh at it, or you can do neither and completely disregard it for the rest of your life. I am not in control of it. Only one song feels right to establish the tone, and you will understand immediately why. Afterwards, we will abruptly start the story at the beginning of my first year in college. This is a Texas-sized solution by this band, Our Sunday Affairs. Thank you, and I love you. See you soon.
the image that first comes to mind when thinking about how to start off this story is the image of me during my first week of school in my third floor dorm room, dangling my legs from the window and planning to jump. To say that everything started horribly would be a fucking massive understatement. Because beyond like interpersonal reasons at the time, social problems were a huge, like were a major issue. They're a huge issue for everybody who, like everybody in their first year of school, at a school where they know nobody, in a place that they know nothing about. Um, it is a gigantic insecurity cesspool. I remember showing up and beforehand I had contacted my planned roommate um, three times. I contacted them. I had their phone number, got ghosted. I hit them up on Facebook, got ghosted. I emailed them, no response, ghosted. Um, it wasn't until I got, I showed up to the school that I realized that Last second, my future roommate decided to take a gap year and were no longer enrolled at the school. Of course, the first instinct is to go, oh, fuck yeah, dude. I got a, I got a double room to myself. I can have anyone over. It's going to be so fucking sick. Um, and that like was my mindset for maybe two days until I realized that by not having a roommate, I did not get an automatic first friend. Because most like first year roommates, they're either friends for a week or friends for their entire career through college. But no matter what, at some point, they would hang out and that's how they got acquainted to everyone around them. That was their way of socialization. And I fully didn't have that. Um, I just had more room to turn into a pigsty, essentially. Um, and it's not like walking up to random people like would make it better. No, because it's all just like this big old social game. Of course, you're not going to hit up like you're not going to engage with people that you don't really find value in being friends with or talking to. You know, you you want to engage people that you think has like you would have the most social gain from, um, which is like a terribly like cold and analytical way to look at friendship. But that's just how it is. I remember when the school sanctioned those big orientee gatherings um, for everybody to introduce themselves to each other and try to like get a feel for what this place is going to be like. And there are always those people who acted cool, who wanted to be cool, and therefore would go out of their way to introduce themselves. To be like, yo, what's up? My name is so-and-so. I dig your vibe from far away. Where are you from? All that jazz. The major problem with it was they would do it in a clear pattern that everybody could see. You know, you, you would be standing in a line and they would go down the line and just introduce themselves. However, they would only introduce themselves to people that like looked like them or people that they found attractive. 
So it was really funny to be standing in that line and watch like people hit up five five people in a row, take a stare at the next person, show like a face, and then like jump two people and be like, "Oh shit, what's up?" Um, yeah, and like you know that wasn't defeating at all. Uh, the only person I I remember the only person I talked to in a line because of that was this transfer named Chaz who told me that the reason why they transferred to that school was they had to drop out of the University of Hawaii because their roommate got them into crushing Adderall and putting it on weed and smoking it. And he said that like he just straight up did not show up to class for like five weeks because he was genuinely addicted to smoking Adderall laced weed. Um, yeah, he, fun fact, he dropped out after the first semester. So that, that was fun. Um, and so, yeah, there, there was just all that. And I didn't really talk to anybody outside of my orientation group. And in orientation group, I remember like the leaders telling us what to look forward to. Like if you're having a tough time right now, here are events that the school, like events and activities that the school offers as like a possibility for you to find your people. And of course, my orientation leader at the time talked a lot about this thing called Log Jam. That's the gigantic club fair hosted on the quad that, you know, they used to recruit new members um, of any age. And then afterwards, followed by a huge, gigantic party. Um, one of them was KUPS. That was the campus's radio station. And it was like that, like their reputation really preceded itself. You, you would see newspaper articles talking about, oh, join KUPS, voted by MTV to be the best college radio station in America like 15 fucking years ago. You know, there's a giant, like, it It won an award called the Woody, which is just an axe stuck inside, like, a log. Um, and it was broken. Um, but I was told that that was, like, where um, all the cool people will be. And that campus, uh, college radio is where a lot of people like try to flock to. Two people in my orientation group told me that I should try out and that I should have a show. Um, the first one was my orientation leader, Asha, who was talking about it because we all had to pick a song that inspired what we were writing at the time. It was a creative writing and day hiking orientation group. And I recognized one of their songs. It was My Brain is a Human Body by AJJ. And I was like, oh, shit. And then we started talking, and they were like, you should, you should try out for a cup show. Another one, the other one was a person in the orientation group who was surprised that I had ever heard Archie Marry Me by Always, <laughs> which is way less of a deep cut than the AJJ song, but... Like, not even, like, that is a deep cut. 
And so I remember just looking forward to it. And when Log Jam came around and I had kind of spent the entire two weeks, the first two weeks of school, whether that be orientation or classes, just toiling in my room. And I remember I showed up, I signed up, and I immediately started thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I was like, oh, fuck, it seems just so sick to have a radio show and put it on. But I wanted it to be like I wanted it to mean something than just songs that were like randomly collected together. So for some fucking reason, I wish I knew. No, I do know uh, what spawned the name was. I was really into Sophie's floorboard, uh, the blog spot where you can download a bunch of emo music. And they had the whole section that was called Twinkle Daddies. If you know what that means, you know. Um, if you don't, it's just this stupid colloquial term for twinkle emo that started in like the emo revival in like early 2010s. And I was like, oh, twinkle daddies. Like that has a, like, you know, that has a rhythm to it. Um, what's the spin I could put on it to make it myself? And suddenly one time just looking out the window, I was planning to um, like, Unalive myself from uh, it came to me. Twinkle Dad's School Survival Guide. Um, yes, that is fully a Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide reference. And the the whole gist of it was it'd be all like Midwest email, email, punk, whatever it may be. And it's an entire playlist curated to fit hyper-specific situations that I was in and that were making my college life, like, very fucking difficult. Um, hoping that somebody else, like, so, that somebody else, like, has have been in the same shoes before or understood what the pain was. You know, it was really, like, platforming, yeah, it was platforming my mental issues hoping that other people could find like resolution or solace in it because I like wanted it to be okay. Going back, there's never a guide to deal with all the, like with all the hyper-specific horrible shit that first year, that first year students experience. Um, so yeah, I remember I filled that out and I put it in and I wait and, and I waited and cups had like their programming blocks were separated by genre. And the one that made most sense was to apply for loud rock because after like in the loud rock section, you're allowed to play abrasive music, not like most Midwest emo music is abrasive, but you're also allowed to have uh, curse words in your songs. So when like mom Jean says something about fuck, like, you know, I'm drinking fucking chocolate milk. You know, it's like, okay, I know exactly what time slot I could play that on. I put that in and then I waited anxiously until my interview on like Tuesday at 10 a.m. And the person who interviewed me was the very lovely human being known, uh, known as Stu Schmidt, who will come up like, you know, like, you know, who will come up intermittently 
throughout this whole story. Um, and he was friends with the orientation leader, Asha, who told me that I should do it. And I remember them walking in, us introducing ourselves to each other. And they're like a clear punk with like all like back patches. And I was like, you know, I was like, I want to get gate kept. <laughs> like, I know jack shit about what's going on. We walk in and the there uh, there is no DJs at the time. So the KUPS had this automated channel playing and almost like a message from God. Uh, Seven by Sunny Day Real Estate was playing. So that was a good omen. And I pull up and I remember just stuttering through what it was, like what the whole gist of it, you know, all that. And he, of course, was like, for sure. No, that's understandable. And like when I knew that when I had a feeling that Twinkle Dad School Survival Guide was going to be a show, uh, was the moment when Hugh asked me, like, where I find my music and where I would find music for this show. And I was like, very truthfully, I was like, uh, a blog spot called Sophie's Floorboard. They were like, holy shit. Like, I also use Sophie's Floorboard. Um, and, you know, we just kicked it off from there. Like, the vibes were good and I like understood that this show at least had a potential for like, I don't know, like four or five episodes at least. I found out later on that Hugh tweeted about it and was like, you know, this fucking emo kid from Nevada walked in talking about Sophie's floorboard. And, uh, you know, that was assuring. It was like really like maybe the first like glimpse of perhaps there's potential of me being here and potential of me being happy. And so it was like more or less indirectly confirmed by them because we happened to get dinner together one time that I would have a show. And, you know, my show was, I believe on a Sunday. So I waited a whole week after I got the text and I was like, we got to start this off with a bang. The first episode is going to be Twinkle Dad, School Survival Guide. What to do when you have your first emo show on the college radio station. And the first song could only be Never Met by the band American Football. And I had this whole playlist. I walked in. And, of course, it, it, like, it did not work out. At college radio and, like, when college radio starts up every semester, every like all of the equipment is fucked up and no one actually gets to play their show until the people working for the station like understand what the problems are. So my computer playlist wouldn't play. So during it, uh, the person who was helping me was like, oh, just play a random song from automation. I check up automation. Of course, the college radio station is going to have never meant in their file in their files. So I hit that first, goes off at the charm and goes like, you know, goes off without a hitch. But the person was like, pick more music. My brain kind of frazzled, short circuited. I didn't know what to do. 
So I just started, I played like six Limp Biscuit songs back to back. That is an FCC viol- violation. Um, KUPS could have lost a lot of money because of that. But, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely anxious, and I really did beat myself up over it because at this point, that the show was the only way I found, like, the only way I thought I could have social worth um, as a first year, um, which is a rough thing to realize. But by the next week, everything was fixed, and I started playing my shows. And, yeah, you know, everything starts. And, of course, when you're a DJ, you want to talk to other DJs about, like, what music they're playing. Like, that's easy. Like, oh, you, you're a DJ for Cups? I'm a Cups DJ. That's perfect. Except in this version, I just got gatekept a bunch. Um, the first one that comes to mind is... They're, um, Ian and Zach, two people I ended up becoming friends with, had a show after me where they play all music from the Bay Area. And it was a loud rock show. And I remember staying in and, you know, and they're like, oh, you can stay. Like, they're like, I recognize you from the dorms. Like, you can stay and hang out with us. And I was like, okay, cool. And we started talking about each other's shows. And, you know, we talked about the music they're playing. And, of course, Bay Area punk is very prolific, so there was a lot to talk about there. But when we talked about Midwest emo, the first thing that got questioned was, what's that actually – like, is that actually loud rock? And I'm like, I guess. There are some chugs. There are a little bit of breakdowns. Not everybody is going to want to listen to it. And they're like, yeah, but you should listen to punk. And you have to listen to, like, hardcore and stuff. However – in that same episode, they're like, they're like, we got the idea, like, you know, we know the perfect song to end this. And they play fucking Only in Dreams by Weezer. I talked to them about it. I'm like, why is this on Loud Rock? <laughs> and they're like, it's fucking Weezer. And I'm like, that does not answer my question. But I'm not going to challenge people who I could potentially be friends with. The next thing that, like, you know, and so I was like, okay, how about other loud rock DJs? I was in, I was in the cafeteria and I saw two loud rock DJs talking to each other. And I was like, perfect, my time to slide in. And I was like, hey, what's up? I know your name, Ben. I saw the person, their name. And uh, that person was like, oh, like you're a DJ? I'm like, yeah, I'm a loud rock. I do, I do the Midwest emo show. And once again, you know, they're like, is that actually loud rock? And I was like, yeah, you know. And they're like, okay, you know, never really listened to it. And for some reason, they're in the middle of a conversation about the music from Primitive Man and Converge. So they're metalheads. And (laughs) the person who questioned Midwest emo being loud rock, while they were talking about that, asked me, they were like, they're like, do you know Primitive Man? Like, do you listen to heavy music? And I was like, yeah, admittedly not that much at that point. But, you know, I've heard of Primitive Man. I saw their CD one time at a record store. 
and we just, you know, moved on. So we're kind of zero for two or like half for two. So we're like one out of two. And the third time that just like really, I feel like takes the cake is the Ian and Zach, the DJs after me. I ran into them at the cellar and they were with their friend. And immediately they're like, oh, you got to meet our friend because like, you know, he's excited for your EMF show. You know, and of course that brought me a little bit of joy. So I went to engage. The person was like, you're, you're doing an emo show? Like, yeah. I'm like, you play Fallout Boy? My Chemical Romance? I was like, no, I play mid, like, you know, and I was like, I play Midwest emo. And they're like, they're from the Midwest. <laughs> Why aren't you playing My Chemical Romance? And I just, I fully did not know how to answer that. And yeah, I was like, okay, fuck, like, you know, fuck that. Like, there's no need. I'm, I understand that, like, taking a concept like Twinkle Dad's School Survival Guide and putting it out as, like, a badge of honor is not a good thing. People are not going to look up to that. But it did give me, like, some places, I guess, um... Because of that, it was like mainly Hugh, who's like a year older, you know, would start letting me know about house shows at the time. And, you know, and it was my first house show experience. Um, I grew up in a rural Nevada town, so I wasn't able to go to house shows uh, there. But, you know, I remember showing up to a place where not only were they selling a mission to the show, but they were also selling loose cigarettes and mixed drinks. <laughs> Um, in the basement was like literally like the basement was maybe at most like seven feet and people who were moshing to a song about uh, called fuck Trump were like slamming me into the back um, <laughs> and I was like okay you know I'll take this uh, and so yeah that was cool and then uh, he was old scrams band called Blashko's Lines. They were doing uh, their first ever show at this house uh, called, I think it was 818. Pulled up to 818 like one Friday night. The show was about to start. Everybody is sitting on the carpeted living room floor with their shoes off. As Blashko's Lines, the Scrams band, like they were kicking it off. So I sit down on the projector. They put that horror movie on Begotten, which is a very bloody and violent movie. And they did a screamo set. Uh, it's a very warm memory, but I was like, you know, it, it was something that I enjoyed. And I thought that, you know, I could take away whether or not people cared about this stupid fucking emo show I was doing. There was that. And that this music scene was, like something I wanted to do. And, you know, meanwhile, during all of this, you know, I had a lot of inner, like, yeah, I had a lot of personal, like mental health problems going on. I was undiagnosed at that time. I had never been on the, the medicinal carousel. So I really was just like a speeding bullet in my mind. 
just dissociating through and through. And there was like one time where like, you know, um, the DJ before me who played a stoner metal show, um, you know, we, we would talk passingly and like, you know, we'd talk in passing, but then eventually, you know, we started hanging out because we are like, Oh shit, you're chill with you. Hugh. Cool. So am I. So we started talking and there was like one time I showed up without sleeping the night before um, because of the sad shit going on. And I remember I, I said it like offhandedly and they like, they're like one second and they put on like a seven minute fucking uh, like chug metal song and he pulled me over to the side and just started talking to me. They're like, dude, it will be okay. Like, you know, it, that shit's not good. I understand what it's like to be in those shoes. Like, if you need someone to talk to, he's like, I get it. Not in the condescending sense. I get it. And we hugged. <laughs> um, and thankfully that person, like, you know, that person is also very formative, you know, to all of this. But... Yeah, the show enabled me to have that interaction. And even though it was like, it was so strange. I had to go into the studio every week with a playlist. I spent like three straight days compiling, curating, finding out what would be perfect. But they all had to deal with what was going on internally. Um, and what was going on internally was genuinely very severe and not good. And while it was not directly trauma dumping to whoever was listening to, it kind of was. And I got sick of it. <laughs> um, it took a toll on me. We talked a lot about, you know, it was like going to a show every day and being like, your songs about this really bad thing that happened this weekend uh, that you might also be and although I never used the word I, it was clear the target was. We go on. And it just kind of broke me down. The third to last episode was maybe my favorite radio show episode I've ever did called Twinkle Dad's Pro Skater 3. Because I had left my N64 and PlayStation 2 at home. And I wanted to play... Tony Hawk Pro Skater, whether it be Pro Skater 3 on the PS2 or the first Pro Skater on the 64. And I was just like, you know, I was like, I know I won't be as lonely there as I am right now. So it was a whole episode designed to be played during a playthrough of Tony Hawk. You know, and I did it and I vibed with it. There was a good uh, variety um, at some point, I was told that I should start playing older, heavier email, which is how I got into bands like Page 99, Moss Icon, Still Life, you know, all that. And so there is a good variety of modern twinkle email scrams to like essentially old post-hardcore. Um, I got back and I see on the whiteboard outside of my room, Someone, and I still don't know who, was like, great episode. Like, it truly was a blast to hear that. And it warmed my heart. I kept it up throughout the end 
of the semester. Um, and so I'm going to backtrack a little before we reach the end of like the first one, but like, you know, it was at that point that I realized that like, although there might be like bright moments in Twinkle Dads, doing a show like that is not good for one's mental health. So I wanted to call it quits. You know, I, I had picked a show for the next semester that I would apply to and I rested Twinkle Dads there. Sometime in the middle of all of that, um, I had a manic break. Um, this is one of the reasons, like, you know, like, I had a, this is one of the reasons why uh, I think I got a bipolar 2 diagnosis <laughs> was, um, like, a little bit before that, something in me just kind of snapped. And I was hanging out with a friend. I was helping them with like relationship life issues. And they're like, yeah, you know, it was a comment. Cause it was like, I feel like, you know, I feel most comfortable talking about people's issues that aren't my own. And so we talked about that, but like some statements were said about like, why do you treat your feelings? Like you do that. Like, why do you treat your own feelings like that? When you like give other people's more respect. And I was like, you're fucking right. You are fucking right. And I got out of the dorm. I left. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to listen to some Algernon Catawallet. <laughs> and this is, keep in mind, this is before Algernon ever put up all their material on Spotify. So for the longest time, most people thought that the only thing Algernon put out was uh, the fun EP that starts off with Spit Fountain. No, it turns out they, they had albums and demos. And so I was like, yeah, I want to go for a walk. It was like midnight. We had been drinking in that room previously. And so I was like, I want to go for a walk. So I downloaded uh, Parrot Flies by Algernon Cadwallader. I got it on my phone and I booked it all the way down to Stadium High School in Tacoma. If you don't know, that's where 10 Things I Hate About You was filmed. <laughs> it's a beautiful campus. And I was just like walking there, springing leaks, and If It Kills Me were the two songs that I was like constantly looping uh, from that album. And when I got there, I thought of the really funny idea where it's like I take a photo shoot of me being like, oh, at the 10 Things I Hate About You set, like, filming set but halfway through it i was like it'd be even funnier if i just started licking where it was filmed so i have like 50 images on my phone from that night of me licking like the ground poles bricks and shit <laughs> at this high school you know i fucking walked back at 3 a.m i just kind of stayed up and i also wrote like a 70 line poem about an albatross. Yeah. <laughs> that shit was kind of fucking nutty. But with all that combined and, you know, how it was going, I had fun. Yeah, I remember winning I Won Best New DJ for the show, but I needed to call it rest. No rest. So I thought I would go into... Um, 
I thought, you know, I was like, I want to go into winter break with a fresh start and go into the next start, uh, semester even better. Spoiler alert. No, this story somehow gets fucking worse. Um, and I'm only saying this because it'll add a context to a statement later on. But within fi- during finals week, I was entered into the school's program meant to prevent suicide and self-harm. Um, and like the main thing was they're like, we're going to give you a life sentence of therapy as long as you are attending this university. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, that could fucking help me. <laughs> um, that would be great. So at that point, I thought it would be a nice little life and death situation for Twinkle Dads. So, yeah, that is the story of the first run of the show. We'll continue on more. And no, no other segment of this episode is going to take as long as that did. So no worries about it. Thank you for listening so far. Um, I'm going to play a song. It was a song that I, although I knew of the band beforehand, I started listening to uh, listening to it obsessively. And every opportunity I could, I would play a song from this album on the show. Um, and it's uh, it's by the band Swordfish. Um, maybe like the last true emo revival band. Um, because every song of theirs sticks to a formula. You have such a rhythmic like bass line. You have trumpet, you have gang vocals, and you have the most straightforward, depressing lyrics. And I truly hit a note. And so, yeah, to end this portion of the story, this is Wash by the band Swordfish. Ten boxes, but you think about her more than she thinks about you. She has no idea But you're thinking about her What you've been going through And you can memorize Patterns of rugs from Staring at the floor But avoiding eye contact Doesn't work much anymore Smoke out of my clothes So like Carded Six months ago Back when
I did for the second semester of my first year of school was a post-punk, post-hardcore show, originally called Joy Division T-shirt T-shirt, but then later I called it Space Ghost Post to Post. Either iteration, it was not the move. Um, I thought it would be better, but it turns out that some that you know it wasn't for me. I did get the opportunity to play bands like Devo, Slint, Blondie, and like insane post-hardcore covers of pop songs. But I was not happy doing it. It was like I never I never missed a show of Twinkle Dads the previous semester, and I missed like three because I genuinely did not care enough to show up. Um the only like fun episode of Joy Division T-shirt T-shirt was the one where I played emo music because <laughs> um, I got to go really abra- like not abrasive, but like I got to play. Yeah, I was gonna say I love emo music. I love the genre itself because of just like what it's able to do. Um, you know, there are bands like Mom Jeans and like Modern Baseball, which introduced a whole level of like how to speak about emotion and how to communicate emotion through music. But there's also bands and I'll say their name plenty of times, like page 99 (laughs) and like snowing that just take like the whole, that incorporate like different genres, like so well and so fluently, you know, and it made me interested and excited. Um, and I still listen to it. I listen to emo music more on my free time than I did post hardcore or post punk. Um, you know, and, and during this, in terms of like class and like school personal wise, um, so I was diagnosed. Uh, I was diagnosed w- with bipolar two and schizophrenic thought patterns. Um, and that's like a whole thing. But there was, like, finally a name. Like, now I'm never telling people, like, I'm bipolar. Um, I'm definitely mentally ill to an extent, as we all are. But it was just kind of valid for what I was going through. 
Now, the so I thought it would be easier after receiving a diagnosis, but it somehow like only got harder because I took having a diagnosis as a pass to start talk like finding ways, finding nuanced ways to discuss mental illness. Um, that's where I fucked up because no one wants to hear about mental illness in actuality. So I was telling people, I'm like, here are the dark intrusive thoughts that I have. And it's okay. Like, I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, it'll be good. Trust me. And they're like, okay. And our school had a, uh, at the time, our school had mandatory reporting. Whenever you were scared that someone was going to take their own life. <laughs> and so I told my roommate, I got a new roommate, spoiler alert, about some shit that was generally thing. I was like, I want you to know that it's fine. Like, you know, I'm starting medication. It's all good. And then I got a text from my RA that we should talk. And I was like, oh boy, like, here we go again. Then we talked, you know, and I told them, I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, they're like, your roommate's scared. I was like, I know. Like genuinely, and the RA, like, you know, I still have a lot of respect for, but I asked him, I was like, do you have to report this to the same people that like run the student harm program? And she was like, yes, you know, it's mandatory, but she was like, trust me, you won't be put into the same program again. The same program I was already in. Um, and I thought that to be true until I got an email Word for word, the same exact email I got the first time that I should go into their, their office. <laughs> and I pulled up. I had just started Wellbutrin. Uh, if you know, you know. And I pulled up and she told – first of all, she gave me the wrong envelope. So she accidentally, like, doxed the name of someone I knew who was also in the program. Um, and she was like, never speak about this again. So, okay. Like that's bad. <laughs> um, but two, she was just like, here's the same things. And I'm just like kind of blocking it out. Um, and I told them, and I was like, I'm, I don't like that. There's not a way for people to talk openly and candidly about mental illness so in response, she says, and I quote, oh, no, you can talk openly about mental illness. We just don't know how yet. That just, you know, that will set a person off. <laughs> like, and it's just something where it's like, how do you have the, like, the gall to actually say that? Uh, and it was very defeating. The whole the whole structure of it just made me feel bad. And it was like I knew that I wanted to talk about trauma and like mental illness and find a way to detach my own self from it, but still have it be like a pressing thing. Like mental illness can have nuance. And it was just it was a it was a rough period doing that while also like you know running a show that I genuinely was not interested in. I remember the morning that I started my meds, uh, the fallout boy kid walked up to me 
And he was like, what's up, Willard? How are you? I talked to him. I'm like, I'm good. All that. I'm like, how are you? He's like, I'm good. I smoked DMT for the first time yesterday. I was like, wow, that's fucking heavy. <laughs> uh, what was it like? And he was like, dude, it was great. And he was like explaining it to me. He was like, you should try DMT. I will give you DMT. And I told him, no, I just started new medication. And he goes, dude, I smoked DMT once and it cured my depression. He smoked DMT the day before. <laughs> so I just kind of blocked that out. Um, you know, during it, I, I remember I started a mood stabilizer too later on. And um, when I did, I started getting like this major headache. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like I'm allergic to my stabilizer, whatever. But I was like, there's no way that a headache's going to stop me from seeing page 99 in Seattle. And then like, and that was like four days before. And over time, my like, eye started swelling shut. Like my right eye had this huge amount of pressure be behind it. And I, you know, I was like, oh, it's migraines. Oh, I'm allergic. I didn't actually know. I went to the show. I got my ass beat. It was fun. And the next morning I wake up and my eyes completely swollen shut. And I was like, okay. Um, but so I went through a whole day doing that. I was taking, um, I was taking a harmful amount of Advil and Tylenol that would work for like 30 minutes, but would do jack shit later on. Um, and I was trying to sleep and I couldn't. And so I was like, I just have to go to the hospital. I hopped into the lift. I was like, the driver's not going to notice my swollen baseball eye. I got in. She turns around and she just goes, oh, my God, what happened? This is at 4 a.m. on a Monday. And I was like, please drive. I don't know. Um, I get to the hospital. I check myself in. And the receptionist is like, you get she was like, you get hit by a baseball. And I was like, please just fucking check me in. <laughs> I get in. Um, and I found out what it was. I had a sinus infection. I never had a sinus infection, so I didn't know how to treat it. Um, I had a sinus infection with clear symptoms for five months. I did not treat it for so long that it grew an abscess in between my brain and my eye. And if I had let it gone longer, it would have killed me. Of course, I wasn't supposed to know that. <laughs> like, you know, like I did not know that for some reason. So I go in and like the doctor who's checking up on me was like, hey, do you mind if I bring in some like uh, nursing students? And I was like, sure. Brings in new nursing students. And he was like, you only ever see this in kids. You know, and I'm like 18, depressed. Just like, please, please like let me fucking be. And then, you know, they're like, we have to hospitalize you for 48 hours. And like the next, within the next hour, uh, the E-Word, famous email podcast, uh, dropped an interview with Tank 
of Algernon Cadwallader. So I remember I listening to that with morphine and antibiotics in my IV uh, next to a gigantic jug that I filled with piss. And I just remember so vividly like listening to that and hearing them explain uh, parrot flies. And I was like, okay, sick. Like, this is eye-opening. Um, and it really, at that point, I decided that I was going to drop out. I was going to leave one year of Twinkle Dad's radio stations behind, and I was just going to live my life. I had a friend living in New York at the time, and I was going to uh, crash on their floor for three months trying to get a job. But it was too late to drop out in that semester, so I had to stick with it. Our school would always host a thing, or kids from our school would always host a thing around April called Alzer's Art Walk, uh, which is just returning for the first time this upcoming year. Um, and it's a huge one-day event with different house shows and events going on. Um, and I was excited, and uh, I was most excited about the Loud Rock House. It was Save Bandit opening, uh, followed by Alien Boy from Portland and Dog Breath from like the Pacific Northwest. And like the Alien Boy album I was listening to on repeat. And Save Bandit, which was a local like twinkle band, um, I like their EP. Like I dig it a lot. But I saw footage of that. They would always end their sets with the cover of Methuselah Rookie Card by Snowing. And I was like, I'm excited to see if that happens. Like the prospect of that. You know, so the day goes on. I met Left at London, famous, uh, like, Vine star Twitter personality. Somehow, um, I sold poetry, which got me some money. It also got me filtered uh, by a person who, yeah. I told him, I was like, I was giving away my poetry for free. And people were like, oh. And one person picked it up. I, they asked me to tell them a joke. I told them a joke, and then they set it back down and walked away. Um, so that was kind of an L, but it, it doesn't matter. You know, I was like, what's the point if I'm never going to talk to these people again? And so the Loud Rock House starts. The show starts, and Save Bandit does their set, you know, and I'm I'm having fun with it. At the end, they would always talk about, hey, we have like five songs, maybe six. We don't know if we're going to play the sixth one yet. I was like, okay, that's big. And so they play and they end with Burn Victim, like their most notable song. They end and I was like, okay, is that going to be it? Like, what's the hidden sixth song? And then one of the band members uh, motions Hugh to come over to them. They talk and the same band member goes up to the mic and goes, this is for Willard. And they start, they cover Methuselah Rookie Card. I cried. I screamed. I screamed all the lyrics with the other people knew. But I cried. Um, and the Alien Boy went on, and I cried when they did Sleeping Lessons into Somewhere Without Me. 
And it truly was the first moment I felt not only actually happy there, but I told myself that, you know, I wanted to return. Not only did I want to return to the school, but I need to come back to doing Twinkle Dads with more of a vengeance. It felt right. So we'll end that portion right there. And to give, to understand sonically why I was crying, here is Sleeping Lessons followed by Somewhere Without Me by Alien Boy. Thank you.
Dear Twinkle Dad, I am returning for my second year of college, and I want to revive my old emo radio show called Twinkle Dad. Problem was, is I no longer want to focus on my own problems and instead externalize them. Um, the only thing that comes to mind is doing an advice column, like Dear Sally, which I would always read as a kid, that would answer other people's problems in a way that might be comforting for them, you know, give them the same just emotional balance. They like, you know, give them the same emotional balance that I found when doing my old show. Problem is, problem is one, nobody really listens to college radio Two, how do you get the word out? Three, is this a good idea? Thank you. And I hope you answer soon. Sincerely twinkle dad in Tacoma. I'm sorry. I, I think that was the only way I could introduce that. But yeah, that was the thought pattern going in. Um, and I had like one instance of doubt of like if I truly wanted to listen to emo music that much. But then I discovered the song As Cool As An Attempted Suicide by Lear, which has that like just insane like drum fill and like just such an iconic uh, guitar line that I was like, yeah, it brings me excitement, it brings me joy, and I want to do it. I applied for a show, I got a slot that, I got a Monday slot that was really nice, and also kind of made sure that everyone would be able to listen to it. And so immediately, once I got the text from the music director that I had a show, um, I did something incredibly stupid. I printed out like an, an ad, like, you know, wanted ad, which asked for people to send their questions, um, all that. And I put my personal, two personal emails, my phone number and my social media handles. And I printed, I want to say about 100 to 200 of them. And with moving tape, like Packers tape, I put it all over. I put it in bathrooms. I put it in res halls. I covered walls with it. I wanted to make sure that the exposure was maximum. Um, what I didn't find out, well, okay, I was walking through the, I was walking near the radio station where the general manager at the time, who I knew and I was chill with, was like, Willard, like, Willard, I need to talk to you. I was like, yeah, stop fucking hanging up those posters. Why? Security's really mad. Turns out that you need like clearance to do that. And they're like, you won't be able to do that. That is not a good idea. Just, you know, you do it here. Please stop doing that because cups like, you know, because the radio station's name is attached, even though it was fully my diligence that caused it. Um, and so that was it. Um, I think I averaged about 11 listeners every show, which is like for college radio, pretty good for 10 PM on a Monday college radio show. Like really good. It was nice. It was comfortable, you know, and I enjoyed it. I set up a Tumblr so I can answer and I could write out and for it to have a life out of itself. 
Uh, thankfully, um, yeah, I was able to make like some Twitter online friends who, you know, would engage and like the reach was slightly outside of, yeah, the reach was slightly outside of the school, which was nice for like anonymity and stuff. But it was like really funny and it was strange because I remember people I knew would send me anonymous questions that I like knew exactly who it was. And I was like, I was like, you are bearing a lot and I thank you. And I was like, it feels like, you know, it does feel a bit awkward as the host to have to handle like all that stuff. But, you know, I think it was beneficial. It brought more nuance to the formula that was trauma dumping the radio show. Because emo music, phase or not, doesn't really even have a lot of nuance. Um, the big ones that come to mind, if you talk about like the front bottoms or going back to mom jeans, is they, you know, of course, like lyrics like, I'm so sad, but nothing beyond that, like, talks about just like human emotion directly. And I thought it would be a nice way to just air it in. Um, and, like, right there is, like, when seeds started to be planted of what is now the intention of this project. And I think just what my education became, where it was the communication of trauma, uh, trauma art. And the idea that art can be art that has some extent of exposure therapy could be a healing process. And so that was the move, you know, and I just kind of moved silently. No one ever talked to me about it besides like, besides texting a show where it's like, Oh, thank you for the song. Thank you for answering whatever. I, I never really talked about it until one day I was sitting with a friend um, doing my write up. And the electronic music director at the time, who I will name, Alex, walks up and we start talking. And he's like, oh, are you, like, do you do a radio show? He asked me. And I'm like, yes, I do. He's like, what is it? I'm like, oh, Twinkle Dads. I'm doing a write-up right now. And he's like, oh, my God, dude. <laughs> like, what? He's like... He was like, yeah, dude. he was like, a lot of people know about it. He was like, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Whether or not that's true, doesn't matter. But I was like, okay. I was like, that's sick. I'm glad that you find a, ba like a show like Dear Twinkle Dads to be worth something. Giving people joy. Something people feel the need to talk about. And so and that's what it was. And I, like, I wanted it to grow. Because it was something that I found so much enjoyment in and that I thought could be a fruitful experience. You know, and I thought it's, I would extend it. I was going back to Reno for the winter after the first semester. And I found out that this two big East Coast DIY emo bands were hitting my favorite venue in the world. And I thought it would be perfect to interview them. So I hit them up, they answered twice, we set up a date, and I was like, cool, I get an interview, blank, blank. 
who dropped one of my favorite albums of 2018. Sick. That's so sick. 2018 or 2019, doesn't matter. 2019. And so it goes, and I walk up, and I go to buy merch and also introduce myself to the person I had been emailing. Because the person who had answered me and is also a prominent member in that band but like, you know, I was doing merch. I asked for it and to break change. I was like, hey, I've been emailing you. I'm excited to interview you. They're like, cool. They're like, okay. And they just stare at me. And I was waiting for two reasons. One, I was awkward, anxious, had no idea how to go about this because this was truly like my first big interview. Two, he hadn't broken my change. He was holding 10 more dollars than what I was paying for. So I was kind of staring at him. And then he just gets up and walks away with my money. And I wait to talk. And I uh, got ghosted. They did a good set. You know, that was chill. They aren't even the first, they, I mean, they were the first emo band to rip me off, to take money from me, um, and somehow they aren't the last. But I remember sitting there, and I remember people telling me that they were, like, excited, and I remember just, like, hyping it up, and then just being like, fuck. Like, what do you fucking do in that situation? So I told the person I was with, I was like, let's just go to fucking in and out. And I was just like blankly staring and I was just like, you know, saying all my emotions because like it is embarrassing. It is a bit humiliating. And that's fine. I think I just didn't know what to do. So I got back at like 2 a.m. From there, I wrote what was or what is the last Twinkle Dads episode to date. Um, and I explained the situation just as openly as I could at that moment. And then I answered all the songs. Like, you know, I answered all the questions with songs that could be fitting. Um, and I was like, I'm fucking calling it. I, you know, when I want to go try out for a new show, I was at like, you know, they're like, are you going to do Twinkle Dads? And I was like, no, I'm doing an experimental Degrassi show. You know, and I was asked why, and I just told them. I was just like, I, I really ate the bullet, and I just, I don't know. Looking back at it, I, I was pretty weak-willed. Weak-willed. I am now. Uh, I used to be weak-willed. <laughs> I still am, but I used to be too. Um, but, you know, I was just like, it's the fucking end. I want it to be the end, and that's okay. Except it wasn't the end. Um, <laughs> my... That semester, that Degrassi semester, was the was the spring of 2020 when COVID shut everything down. And I was like, I'm crossing my arms and I'm like, just like fucking falling, <laughs> like, you know, like resting in my coffin, living my own life. When I get a text from um, Alex, the electronic musician, a music director, who is now the head of the student newspaper. 
And he goes, I want Twinkle Dads to be the advice caller. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I get money from it. And it's like, you know, that would be a nice end. Um, and so we talked about it, you know, and he gave like some nice compliments, whatever it may be. And he was like, yeah, I want you to do that. He's like, so send me the name, send me the pitch. And that's all good. Um, side note, the, the student, this was the first edition of the student newspaper in like a year or two, because what happened was they accidentally posted a racist cartoon in the comedy section. It, like the fallout was big. And because of that, nobody wanted to helm it. So Alex thankfully was like brave enough to get the trail back on its feet for it to move on for future generations. But, you know, I was like already fielding questions and I'm like, I'm so excited. And then Alex calls me and he's like, I need to talk to you about something. It's like, what? And he goes, I want you to change the name. And I'm like, what? And he goes, what is Twinkle Dads? You know, and I explained the origin of the name and he goes, it has twink in it. And he was like, is this a queer advice column? I was like, I mean, as itself, no. Um, it can be. People can ask questions about that, but like, it's about everything. And he was like, I don't, because there has been like, there's something called the happy trail, which was dealt with a, like a queer advice that he was like, I want it to be separated and I don't want people to think of it because of twink. You know, we got in a really weird back and forth about it because I was just like, dude, I stand by it. Like, no offense. It's my novel niche name. Like, that's cool. And he was like, no, we're we're changing it. And so I sent in the article and they didn't post it until like four months later. Until everyone who like all the until Alex graduated. All that, and I see it, and it was like, dear emo dad, and it's this random drawing of a person, of a, of a dude with an emo cut with a hunch and a flannel and glasses. And that was it, and I was just like, I'll take it, you know. Um, and that was going to be the rest, except it wasn't. It always isn't. Um, summer of 2020 goes by. It was just a horrible, horrible mess. No good for anyone involved. And coming from it, I decided to revive it once again, but under a different name called Ghost, Ghost Nest. Um, if you ever read Derrida, um, the <laughs> Derrida, the philosopher featured in the song <laughs> in uh, Y'all Boots Hats by Glockamora, um, I, I listened to Derrida's concept of like ghosts and how ghosts haunt throughout. And so I decided to do this concept called ghost nest. And I would, you know, I would still interview emo musicians, but I wanted to, you know, have it to be more universal and kind of theory based to how I understood trauma and everything going on. My first interview was actually Brandon of Home is Where. It's like one of the first interviews with her that I can find on the internet. Um, and so we did it. It was fun. I remember because they're East Coast, I'm West Coast, and they worked graveyard. I stayed up until 5 a.m. interviewing them. 
Because that's like when they're awake. And I had ate a bunch of chili that night. And so it ended at five and I was like, okay, good. It was cool. And I remember going to bed and it was cold. So I put on a bunch of layers, not realizing that my furnace was going to kick in an hour later. Um, so I woke up like five hours later, um, sweating, dripping in sweat, um, a bunch of shit in my pants because of what I ate. And I got like 12 texts from everybody saying, oh, my God, Joe Biden just won the election. Um, so it was definitely a surreal thing. I, I just went, immediately went downstairs and wiped. I was like, this is a lot of process. And so I went on, and then I interviewed um, I interviewed a band, and it never came out, um, which I feel bad for because I truly wasted the band's time with that. Um, and then I called it quits. My bones just kind of wilted, and I was like, I need to focus on other stuff. And it was like right here where we're like kind of nearing the end of this. Because during my time away, and I'll sum it up with two songs, then move on, is my focus is I'm a the I was a theater major, philosophy minor. And at one point, it just kind of became all about trauma and staging trauma. Because like when watching exploitation films or like listening to emo music, there will often be lines, lyrics, scenes, moments that cause a reaction, but it's not really a good reaction. When you like when you are bearing away and like, you know, are sad, you want to like look for things that speak to your experience. And it kind of hurts when you are engaging with a piece of art and you're like, this isn't authentic at all. What all of this is supposed to be like does not feel true to the human condition. And it sucked. It, it was very lonely because it was like hard to find solace in emo music. And it was just kind of hard to do anything. And so made like my last year of school, you know, I had radio shows. I had a grindcore and hyper pop show called Daddy's Little Hot Pocket when I was the loud rock director. Um, and there was the first emo show since me happened. Um, and it was a sick show. Um, and it was cool, but it was also nice to kind of put it all away. And to put it at rest and like let other art, like theater and stuff, kind of manifest into its own. Because that's what it is. You want to make art that you want to watch. You know, France Fanon has a quote of wit that says, quote, when I go into theater, I want to see myself. I wait for myself to pop up on the screen. And that's what it is. And that's just kind of finding it, allowing, finding art that allows a healthy environment for trauma to just be like rested and coddled in. And so over the past year until now, we'll end the story on a different note. Um, that's just what it was all about. This is the last big uh, section that I'm speaking in. 
So I'm going to end it with two songs that mean a lot to me in that time. The first is by the band Bug Bath from Reno, who are genuinely sick as fuck. And it's When I Wanted You. And then afterwards is from Lilac Queen called Fences. And it's just genuinely like a very aching song that hits a lot of strings. And I think just has that guttural, visceral emotion that people want from music. I know I want from music. Anyway, here are those two songs. Thank you so much for listening, if you're listening to this. I also get if you are. Thank you, and see you soon.
I'd like to end this story off with the reason why I decided to do Twinkle Dads again, but in podcast format. Um, I'm currently in the middle of moving from like vagrancy in Nevada to LA. And last time I was in LA, it turns out that the person I was staying with, my partner, uh, already had like pre-planned events um, the Friday of the week I was there that I wouldn't be able to attend. And of course it was like a a bit of a frazzle because it's like, what do I do? Um, I didn't plan that far ahead. But I remember that like something in my brain just like clicked almost immediately. And I was like, I think Algernon is in Los Angeles this Friday. Um, And I wasn't planning on seeing Algernon at all. Um, They're two closest shows to me in Nevada, Sacramento and San Francisco. It just didn't feel worth to go out of my way and pay all that money. Contrary to the two stories uh, I told recently about like how Algernon Cadwallader has affected both my personal life and the trajectory of Twinkle Dads. I've never been a huge fan of them. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not the Philadelphia emo band from that time that I like save if it was in a burning fire. Like if you put like 1994 and snowing and like Glockamora in there as well, Algernon's the last one. But it would have felt wrong <laughs> if I didn't go after everything. Um, I mean, the last time I was in Tacoma, I went to a house show um, hosted at Hughes' venue, a Beyblade 2 house, and look at the Bones, very delightful people in a Seattle emo band. They performed, and they were like, okay, for their last song, they were like, we're going to do a cover. And so they switch around the guitars, and then I just remember the spit fountain ring. Like iconic, it will like awake Russian sleeper agents to kill somebody. It, like in in the direct radius proximity. So, and I remember when that happened. I like Hugh and I gluing up to the like gluing ourselves to the lead singer and just screaming along, and no one else doing it. <laughs> Like it's a rite of passage. It's innate to both my story and my trajectory, and just everything. And so, you know, I had a friend in Los Angeles who also was a huge fan of, who is a huge fan of Algernon. So I hit him up. It worked out, and so we were going to the Regent. We we're talking about it, you know. We we're talking about what it's going to be, and I was like, I've been looking at like the set list on the internet. And they're playing a lot of songs. My friend Peyton, he looks at me and just goes, are they playing shirt? Like, they have to play shirt. That's all I listened to on the way here. And I was like, I think that's the, like, I'm pretty sure that's the first, you know, that's the first song of their encore. Hell yeah, we're excited. And we go. And, you know, there's a lot of people. I haven't really seen that many people at an emo show before because it, like, sold out and everything. But 
the sign went up, the coffee pot came out pre-show, and they started off with, well, look at the bones. Look at the bones into casual discussions, into uh, some kind of cadwallader. And I just remember crying. Like, I don't cry at shows often. I think the last time was the Alien Boy show. And I just remember crying and screaming. And, like, it meant something. It It is just something, I think, just so close to me personally and in general. And I, where it's like, it would mean a lot to kick this back off again. And to revive it all. And I think also find a way where, you know, because like I said earlier, it's the communication of this format, of emo music, of advice, of talking to strangers that, you know, you genuinely care about because they're other human beings with similar feelings as you. And it, it would just kind of feel wrong to let it die. You know, with all the joy that it's brought. And I remember um, they ended their they ended their set, supposedly, having done their encore. And Peyton and I were talking, and we were pretty close up on stage. Um, and they just opened up with shirt, and he just started cheering, started screaming. You know, they do the first part, and then, of course, there's the, there's, uh, the tongues part. And Peyton just yells over everybody, that's my favorite part! There's, like, a lot of laughs and, like, enjoyment around from that. And it was the ritual. It's the ritual of emo music. It's the ritual of being in the space with other people. And it's the ritual of feeling like you're alive and that you exist and you have a part of it. That's something I struggled with with radio shows, which is why Dear Twinkle Dads existed. It's something that I struggled with in theater, which is why the whole what I do in theater is how it is and in general art, because it could just all mean something, you know, this is for Peyton. This is for everybody in that room. And this is for everybody who has meant something to me. And this is for everybody who has meant something to somebody else. This is for you. And this is always for you. I'm going to end this off with shirt. I doubt that you have listened this far. Um, but if you did, you know, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Next week will be less rambly and con- less rambly, more condensed and about you. With us and with our relationship, it should always be about you. With that, we shall end episode zero start anew on episode one i'm gonna play us off with shirt by the one and only algernon cadwallader thank you i love you 
and I hope you have a good night. See you later, alligator. Bye-bye. What? Being regular. Is it going to uh, clip? What happened? No, I don't want to do that. I want to do it all straight. Okay. I like this. One, two, fuck you! <laughs>